that expression, honey in the rock, that comes right from Psalm 81. And it's reference to the gracious provision of God. Um, even in the most difficult of circumstances, I'm so thankful for the provision that we have, that God's provided for us, and then some in the person of the Lord Jesus. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul uses really the people of Israel in their wilderness wanderings sort of as an illustration of how in their hearts they went back to Egypt and longed for the comforts that they had as far as food is concerned, even though they were in slavery. It's amazing what we do tend to forget. But God provides for his people there in the wilderness in the form of a rock that provides water to quench their thirst. And Paul makes the point in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the rock was Christ. And so you've got a picture there of God's provision for his people and I'm so thankful that that's true. I know you've experienced that in your life as a believer time and time again. But this morning, once more, we're in Ephesians chapter 6. And so I would ask you to turn there where over the past several weeks, we've been looking at this subject of spiritual warfare and the armor which has been supplied for every believer in Christ. And uh, here the Apostle Paul has talked about the nature of spiritual conflict as well as the enemy in this conflict being the devil. He says we really don't wrestle against flesh and blood as Christians. Our enemy's not flesh and blood, but it's, it's Satan and those powers that are in league with him. And yet, he uses this wonderful analogy of armor sort of to reinforce this idea that we have in Christ all that we need to engage the enemy as he wars against our soul. And so the believer's union with Christ, this has been his theme throughout the book of Ephesians, and so he's closing out this letter with just this analogy to help us understand that really Christ himself is the believer's armor. And so if you allow me to press that analogy a bit, you know that every battle that's ever been fought in history has been fought on some type of battlefield. Uh, it was just a few months ago, our family spent the day over at uh, the National Battlefield at Guilford Courthouse, which if you've never been, you need to take some time and just go over there and walk those grounds. It's just a few miles from here over in Greensboro. But if you're familiar with Revolutionary War history, you know that it was General Nathaniel Green uh, and his uh, Continental soldiers, as well as some North Carolina militiamen, who squared off against the British General Lord Cornwallis right there at Guilford Courthouse in what would prove to be a decisive battle in the American Revolution. And so as you walk those grounds where many men died for their cause, men on both sides, uh, you can't help but just have this sense of profound uh, understanding of just the price that is paid really for our freedom. Battlefields are very serious, and all through history, various armies have met on different battlefields. Some have met on open fields. I think about the North and the South as they squared off there at Gettysburg. Uh, some have met at mountain passes. I think about those 300 Spartans who squared off with all of those thousands of Persian soldiers right there at the Battle of Thermopylae. Some battles take place on beaches. 
What about all of those that stormed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day? And you would say, well, what about spiritual warfare? What's the battlefield as far as spiritual warfare is concerned? Well, I believe that the Apostle Paul sort of alludes to this in this passage. Uh, Really, the battlefield as far as spiritual warfare is concerned is the mind, which is why this fifth piece of the believer's armor is so very important. And we'll read about it in verse number 17. But just to put this in context, Let's read once more, beginning in verse 13, where the Bible says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then Paul says, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And again, he's writing those words uh, from house arrest there in Rome. And so we've looked at several pieces of armor already, four in particular, and we come to the fifth which is mentioned in verse 17. And really it's just a phrase from verse 17 that I want us to focus on for just a few moments where Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. And so that's what we want to do this morning, is consider what is meant by that expression, the helmet of salvation. Now again, something we've seen in our study of this passage is that uh, Paul uses this analogy of armor to emphasize the spiritual resources that are ours through faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, the first four pieces of armor include that belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of gospel peace, and then the shield of faith is mentioned in verse 16, and he says you're to take it up so that you can extinguish all of those flaming arrows that the, the enemy sends your way. So the application then of that, Paul is really saying Jesus Christ, he is the truth in whom I trust. He is the righteousness in which I stand. He's the gospel peace which I now possess. He is the object of my faith who serves as my shield against those fiery attacks of the devil. And so now he's saying, you need to know something. Those those fiery attacks even go much further than just the shield of faith is concerned. That's why you need to take this helmet of salvation so you'll have further protection for your head. And so when you take all of this together, Uh, All of this is key to my daily doing battle with the enemy. When you think about the constant barrage of flaming arrows of evil from Satan that we often experience in life, they come in a variety of forms. Uh, You've got temptation and doubt. Uh, There's anger, frustration, pride, despair, guilt, confusion in life, discouragement to the point of depression. Somewhere in our experience, Satan is there in the shadows 
aiming his flaming arrows in our direction. And so these attacks really come from many different angles, many different sides, and they often come when we least expect it. That's usually been my experience. And so the shield of faith, that provides us a strong defense, but something else to understand is that these flaming arrows come in the form of thoughts and ideas which target your mind which is why you need this firm protection of the helmet of salvation that's referred to here in verse 17. Now, obviously, you know that a helmet protects the head, which houses your brain. Think about the human brain and just how remarkable it is. But your brain is the physical command center of your body. Your mind, however, this, this is the command center of your soul and that spiritual part of you which is immaterial. And we live in a culture that wants to deny the immaterial part of our humanity. And we think, well, you're nothing more than just a bunch of atoms that are sort of colliding with each other. And, uh, you know, you owe your existence not to some God who's created you uniquely in his image, but this process of evolution whereby we've just evolved from some primordial ooze in the past into what we presently are. And listen, if that's what you believe, you have no basis whatsoever for upholding even the dignity of humanity. What you end up doing is really cutting your legs out from under you. But those are the kind of thoughts and ideas and lies that the evil one wants to spread throughout humanity so as to give us this sense of hopelessness and that kind of thing. Because Satan knows that if he can attack my mind and get me to think like the world, and so act like the world, then he can short-circuit my command center and cause a major malfunction in my life. And so Paul says you need to take this helmet of salvation and you need to put it on your head. It's an illustration of how you and I must constantly be mindful of our salvation. Are you mindful of what God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ? So that every day of your life, you're able to live in the assurance of your position in Christ. Because that's the key to the victorious life that God intends for you and I to live. Now, I want you to just focus in on this helmet of salvation for just a few moments and consider at least three things about it. All right, so number one, notice with me how this helmet of salvation really pictures the importance of the Christian's mind. You ever heard the expression, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, but it's a valuable thing to invest in? The fact of the matter is, all of us are students in one capacity or another. I mean, it's really hard to get through life without examining something thoughtfully and carefully. And really, for most of us, our vocation in life may reveal what that something is. For example, a woman who's devoted her time to the study of mathematics. She's got a whole lot more knowledge in that particular field than I do. Which, by the way, math was my worst subject when I was in school. When they started putting numbers and letters together, I, I had to check out. I, I was done at that point. But some have carefully devoted themselves to the study of mathematics, and perhaps they've pursued it in some kind of vocational capacity. Or I think about a man who may be in the furniture business, who's spent a lot of his time in that particular field. It's one that he studied in a very thoughtful way. And so it's by devoting our mind to the study of something that we can then pursue it in practice. 
Long before it's a practice, it's got to first of all become a mindset. Well, did you know that as a Christian that your mindset is very important? What should our mindset be as men and women who trust in Christ? Well, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then the Bible says, set your mind on things that are above, above, not on things that are on the earth. In other words, he's saying, be a spiritually minded Christian man or woman. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. So it's this idea of being a spiritually minded believer. It means that your mind is saturated with the truth. Your outlook on life is influenced by the scriptures. It means that through faith, you're increasingly learning to see your circumstances from God's perspective. And your ultimate hopes and your desires and your ambitions, they're they're all centered in God and and you have a Christian worldview by which you, you view life in the world. Your Christianity is not something that you wear on your sleeve, but it's, it's a way of life. Christ is your life, and so your mind and your heart is devoted to the glory of God, and you live as a worshiper. And don't think that worship is just something that you do on Sunday morning. And don't think that worship is only something that involves music, or something that involves preaching, or something that's conducted in a corporate sense. Every act of life for you as a believer can be an act of worship to the God who's uniquely made you in his image and has saved you by his grace. The way you go about your life. I was worshiping when I was out mowing my grass this past weekend. I needed to worship. I needed to get right, first of all, because I was so mad that I wasn't able to do it beforehand and it was knee-deep. God convicted me and said, look, you've got this opportunity to bring glory to me, so get out here and do it. And so I did it. Are you a spiritually minded man or a woman? That's the question. Right, so this breastplate, or excuse me, this helmet of salvation really pictures the importance of the Christian's mind. Your mind is important. Often you see mind and heart used as synonyms throughout the scriptures. For example, Proverbs 23, verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Jesus said in Matthew 15, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, all of the things that are characteristic of humanity and sin by way of deeds, where does that come from? Well, Jesus said it begins in the mind or the heart, which is corrupt and sinful to the core, desperately in need of God's saving grace and mercy and the transforming power of the gospel of Christ. So the importance then of the Christian's mind. Now notice the second thing, this helmet of salvation, secondly, protects the infiltration of the Christian's mind. The figure of a helmet, well, this suggests to us this is something designed to protect the mind, to protect the intelligence, to protect the ability to think and reason. What is it that makes humanity different and distinct from all of the rest of the created order? Well, you think about this. Man has this capacity to reason. Man is deeply relational. 
All of this is reflective of the fact that God has made us in his image, which then gives us dignity and worth. Our culture desperately needs to recapture that truth, men and women. You know that it was that truth that absolutely transformed Western civilization? It was this Judeo-Christian understanding of the inherent value of humanity that we weren't just at the top of the food chain. It wasn't survival of the fittest, and that's why we got to where we are. No, we've been created uniquely in the image of God, designed and given this function and purpose to represent God, to have a relationship with God, to be able to use our powers of reasoning and discernment and those kinds of things to be God's image bearers. And Satan comes along and what does he do in the Garden of Eden according to Genesis chapter 3? But he begins sowing those sinful thoughts and those, those wicked thoughts and ideas of doubt and deception and disobedience. When our first parents believed the lie, it then drug the entire human race into sin and death. So we need to put the helmet of salvation on because this protects the infiltration of our mind. The enemy is constantly trying to infiltrate the mind with evil ideas. You ever thought about all the dangerous ideas that have been introduced to humanity that have left behind just destruction after destruction in their wake? How does Christianity stack up in a world where you have all of these isms? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, For example, you've got got, uh, relativism and and all such as that, secularism, materialism, Darwinism, atheism. Often an ism is merely an idea that's become an ideology. Those ideas have consequences for humanity. I mean, what do you think that it's going to do for a society when you raise a generation to believe that your life really has no transcendent value that's been assigned to you from your creator, but you're nothing more than just the product of chance that you've randomly evolved over eons of time from ooze in the past, and so now here you are. And people believe that. What do you think that's going to do? What kind of consequences and repercussions is that going to have uh, in in humanity who has a a sense of hopelessness now? There's a hopelessness that's characteristic of our times. And people are turning to all kinds of crazy things and the denial of absolute reality in pursuit of some type of satisfaction. Why? Because the evil one has been spreading lies and has deceived us. I think about the most brutal dictatorships in history, how they always began with an idea that became an ideology made absolute. The 20th century saw this play itself out in tragic ways. Because it was only a short jump from the ideas of Karl Marx to the inhumanity of the Bolshevik Revolution and Lenin and and the deaths of upwards of 12 million in Russia. Or what about the ideas of Hitler and Nazi Germany? which resulted in the Holocaust and the murder of millions of Jews. Let me tell you, one of the most sobering experiences of my life was walking through the Holocaust Museum there in Washington, D.C. If you've ever been there, you know that one part of that museum, you walk through this long corridor, and behind glass, there to your left, there's this massive pile of shoes, thousands upon thousands of shoes, 
that were worn by the men, women, and children who were murdered. Some of those who were murdered in Hitler's concentration camps. And we shudder at the thought of that. But listen, we fail to remember the fact that Hitler didn't just appear out of nowhere. It never happens that way. Because before there was a fewer, there was an idea. And who's responsible for the idea that results in the destruction of humanity and the defiance of God's truth? Well, the Bible is clear. Jesus is clear when he says that Satan is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And I think about the cultural concoction being brewed in the minds of today's generation that the evil one is no doubt busy and actively doing, you've got this idea of origins that I've already mentioned that says life is nothing more than the product of evolutionary chance. And then you add to that concoction this idea of humanity that says we are God. You throw in a dash of morality is whatever you want it to be. Add to that the view which says that the state and an ever increasingly powerful state is the answer to everything in your life. You mix all these ingredients together, who knows what kind of cake that you have whenever it comes out of the oven. Because ideas have consequences. That's why we need the helmet of salvation, men and women. Because it helps protect the infiltration of our mind that the enemy is so sinister at doing. And and by the way, that's true of society, but what about you as an individual Christian? He's aiming his missiles your way convincing you that you don't really belong to Jesus, convincing you that you're not eternally saved. He wants to rob you of the joy of your salvation. Uh, He wants to confuse you as far as your hope and your future is concerned. And how does he do that? Well, he clouds your mind. And those of you this morning who don't have assurance of your salvation, I guarantee you that you're, you're troubled in your mind. You're disturbed in your spirit. You're not at rest and God wants you to live with confidence and assurance that comes only through knowing what God has done for you in Christ. And so this helmet of salvation, it it pictures the importance of the Christian's mind, it protects us against the infiltration of our mind, and then notice number three, how it promotes the instruction of a Christian's mind. The regular and the systematic instruction of our minds as Christian men and women, that's something Paul's emphasized in his letter to the Ephesians. The fact that our minds must be trained in salvation in such a way that we become spiritually mature. It's the helmet of salvation that protects your mind and heart from the insinuations of the devil. And it's interesting to me that, that, that some theologians have associated Paul's analogy here only with the believer's assurance of salvation. And they say, well, when he's referring to the helmet of salvation, the only thing that he's really mentioning is the need for assurance that a Christian has to have in his or her life. And again, while that's most certainly true, it involves so much more than that. Because the helmet of salvation, it really encompasses every aspect of our salvation in Christ. You know that the New Testament teaches the tenses of your salvation as a believer in Jesus? You say, what do you mean? Well, you need to understand something about salvation, that it involves both past tense, present tense, and future tense truth. And we only think of salvation in the past tense. And we say, well, I got saved when I was seven years old. Or I came to faith in Jesus Christ whenever I was a junior in college. 
And we think of salvation only in past tense terms as something that God did for me when I got saved. And that's most certainly true. Justification, the fact that you're declared righteous by God through faith in Christ alone, that is something that's happened in your life if you're a Christian in the past, the moment you came to faith in Jesus. But you know that there's also present tense aspect and future tense aspect concerning your salvation. Not only have I been saved, but I am being saved in the present tense. That's sanctification. That means God is using the circumstances of my life, and he's using his word in my life. He's using you as the church in my life. And all of the details and the things that I've done, both good and bad, and somehow he's using all of that for my good, my sanctification. He's conforming me to the image of Christ. And then there's a future tense aspect to my salvation that's called glorification. Justification in the past, sanctification in the present, glorification in the future. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Listen, God has a plan for your body as far as the future is concerned. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. That is justification. I'm being saved from the power of sin. That's sanctification. But one day I'm going to be saved from even the presence of sin. That is glorification. Or one day I'm going to be given a brand new body patterned after the Lord's own body in his resurrection. I'm going to be with him and all of the saints for eternity to come and sin will be no more and cancer will be no more and heartache will be no more and crime will be no more and sorrow and sadness Betrayal will be no more. You'll never have to worry about losing those that you love because God says that in Christ he's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. That's something you've got to look forward to as far as the future tense of your salvation is concerned. And so when Paul says put that helmet of salvation on your head, this is what he's referring to. Because let's just be honest, it's easy to get bogged down in the details of life. Day-to-day living. As you're dealing with the junk that comes your way day in and day out. Disappointment. Misplaced hope, perhaps. Now, listen, I want to show you something. I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 8 because there's one other place that the Apostle Paul refers to this helmet of salvation, and it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, in that passage, he's, he's telling the church to be sober, to be alert, to be looking expectantly for the return of Jesus. And he says in verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let's be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Now, listen to this. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, he's referring to salvation there, obviously, in the future tense. Because look at what he goes on to say in verse number 9. He says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. He says, go ahead and encourage each other. Build each other up with this truth, just as you're doing. He's saying, so when you look around at the world and you see the world perhaps getting a little bit darker, and you hear of wars and rumors of wars, just like Jesus said would come in the end, Matthew chapter 24, when nation goes to war against nation, 
An antichrist system seemed to be in power. And when you feel like your faith is on the precipice and you're being persecuted from all angles and all sides and you wonder what's the world coming to, Paul says, listen, don't be discouraged by that as a believer because your redemption draweth nigh. You've got future salvation to look forward to. Jesus Christ, one of these days, is going to come again. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that right now all of creation is groaning inwardly while it's waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons. Talking about us. Talking about the redemption of our bodies. He says, for in this hope we were saved. So we're living our life with hope. Now hope in our modern vernacular, we interpret that in some element of uncertainty. If I were to say, well, I hope to do this tomorrow, you would, you would say, well, there's an element of uncertainty in his voice because he's not sure that he's going to get to do whatever he wants to do tomorrow. But you know that the biblical word for hope is not uncertain, but it's fixed. And it's based upon the promise of God who cannot lie. And so the hope that we have of salvation, there's no uncertain terms about it. Jesus Christ is coming. And when he comes, you're going to be with him as a believer. You're going to receive a resurrection body as a believer. You're going to rule with him in his kingdom as believers. And that's what we've got to look forward to. So don't get bogged down in the details. But put the helmet of salvation on your head. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Now, the, the hymn writer says this, when darkness seems to hide his face. Have you ever been there? The darkness been encroaching in your life from time to time and it just seems to hide the face of God and you wonder where he is and you wonder what he's up to. Listen, when darkness seems to hide his face, what do I do? I rest upon his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. That's what it means to put the helmet of salvation upon your head. So it pictures the importance of the Christian's mind. It protects us against the infiltration of the Christian's mind. It promotes the instruction of the Christian's mind. Now let me just leave you with just some practical points of application and then I'll finish. Concerning this helmet of salvation, you need to recognize just some very important practical implications of this in your life. All right, so, so number one, it's positioned in Jesus Christ. Which means that if you are a believer, you don't have to go looking for this helmet of salvation. It's already been given to you in Jesus. It's yours. You just have to, by faith, appropriate it in your life. And again, all of this is metaphor, an analogy of truth that's characteristic of you as someone who has been brought into union with Christ. Jesus, he's the wisdom of God that's presently at work in your life as a believer. So it's positioned in Jesus Christ. And then number two, this helmet of salvation is necessary for navigating life in this world. We need the helmet of salvation because we're living in a world that is increasingly hostile to our faith as the followers of Jesus. 
But again, flesh and blood, that's not the enemy. And people who do not worship our God or share our faith, they're not the enemy. And Satan may stir up the powers that be in this fallen world, ultimately because he opposes our faith, but he can't do anything to destroy your faith. He can't take away from the salvation that you've been given in Jesus. And so you need this helmet then. It's not optional for the Christian life, but it's required. It goes with the territory. It's like state of North Carolina. You've got a motorcycle. You want to ride it? By law, you need to put a helmet on. Ain't that right? Yeah. God's given you a helmet in Christ to protect your thinking, to influence your thinking and the way that you process information that comes your way as you navigate life in the world. A third thing that I would say is that this helmet of salvation is mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. Philippians 2 says you've been given the mind of Christ. Romans 12 says that my mind must not be conformed to the pattern of thinking that's characteristic of the world around me, but instead I'm to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. How does that happen? It happens as I spend time in God's word. Fellowship with God and his spirit. 2 Corinthians 10 says that God has supplied us the spiritual weapons we need to engage the enemy's lies. He says in that passage, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. The word that's used there, the Greek word in that text for strongholds, translates a word that means fortresses. The idea is that Satan seeks to establish a fortress in your heart, in your mind, a beachhead from which he launches his attacks against your soul to keep you in the dark, to deceive you as far as truth is concerned, to wreak havoc in your life. But God's given you everything that you need as a Christian to destroy those demonic strongholds. And the helmet of salvation protects you from the logic of unbelief which Satan seeks to foster. And then a fourth thing to consider is that this helmet of salvation is key to understanding the big picture. You know, the devil wants to... uh, discourage you and beat you down with the details of life. You ever heard this expression? Well, the devil's in the details. He wants you to be so concerned with the individual trees that you lose sight of the forest. He wants to weigh you down with details of life so much so that you lose sight of the grand and cosmic scheme of God's redemptive plan. Well, you say, what are you saying, Pastor? Well, we're painfully aware of the heat of battle and the struggle of life and the sweat associated with that struggle. And oftentimes, as Christian men and women, we forget who we are and what we're destined for. And so we, we, we go through our days with just this perpetual sense of discouragement, even depression. And Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 4, and he says, listen, we don't need to lose heart. Because even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen to this. He says, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And you think about the light and momentary affliction he's referring to. In his case, it was imprisonment for the sake of Christ. It was abuse that he experienced from his countrymen. It was heartache and disappointment, betrayal, being shipwrecked, 
being beat half to death, being run out of cities as he was there to just share the good news. Everywhere Paul went to preach, he got ran off. He didn't really have a tenured ministry. And he calls all of that light and momentary affliction. But see, the devil wants you to think about your pain and the issues that you're dealing with in your life. He, he wants that to become so big that it weighs you down and discourages and depresses your soul. But Paul says, keep the big picture in mind as far as your salvation is concerned. Don't look at the stuff that's seen, but keep your spiritual eyesight firmly fixed on that which is unseen. What's he talking about? He's talking about what you've been given in Jesus. The hope that you have in Jesus. That future tense of salvation that you're still waiting for. And then the last thing about this helmet of salvation that I'll, I'll, I'll mention how do you put it on? Well, you put it on through prayer and faith. That's true for each of these pieces of armor. I'll say more about this later on, but notice the unbroken chain of thought when you read verse 16 through verse 18, where Paul says, in every circumstance, take up the shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And listen, here's his emphasis now. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's how you put the armor on. That's how you put the helmet of salvation on day in and day out in your life in the practical sense is that through prayer and reminding yourself of the truth of God's word, you remind yourself of your firm position in Christ as a child of God. Amen. And so listen, are you wearing your helmet? Let's stand for prayer this morning. I don't know about you, but my soul has been deeply ministered to by the truth that's found within these verses and this analogy of the armor of God that Paul uses here to remind me of who I am and all that I've been given in Jesus. Now listen, some of this may sound strange to those of you who perhaps are exploring Christianity. Maybe you've been coming for some time and you look back on your life and you say, you know, I've just never been a religious person, didn't grow up in church. Never really have grown up around the church. And so some of this just sounds so strange to me. And you know what? If that's you, that is okay. Because let me go ahead and tell you, God's at work in your life even now. It's not by accident that you're here. For some reason, you decided to get up and come to church this morning, whether it was the invitation of a friend, whether it was some circumstance in your life, brought you to a point of just spiritual need and you said, you know, I'm going to go to church this morning. But I can say with all confidence that that's really the Spirit of God who's at work in your life bringing you to this point of confrontation with your desperate need for Jesus and His salvation. And the good news of the gospel is Christ has done all that's necessary for you to be saved. And you just simply have to receive salvation as a gift. Receive through faith. You say, Pastor, I, could, I can't be, a, I've messed up my life. I, I've made, listen, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and all come short of the glory of God. But the good news of salvation is that in Jesus you can be made brand new. And you're given his righteousness and his peace and the truth of his gospel.
and you can put this helmet of salvation on your head. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're a Christian this morning, you'd say, Pastor, you know, I've just been in the heat of attack. It's just been one thing after another in my life recently. And man, you're right. The devil just wants me to get weighed down with all the details. Can I just encourage you that this helmet of salvation ought to remind you of the complete and full aspect of your salvation in Christ, both past, present, and future. So you don't have to be discouraged, and you don't have to be depressed, and you don't have to be weighed down. But be encouraged, beloved. Our redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is coming. And Jesus is going to make right every wrong. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's the end for which God has created all things. And creation is quickly headed to that day. Lord, thank you for the wonderful truth of your word. May you take it, transform our hearts and minds for Christ's sake. Amen and amen.